Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Don't interrupt me, por favor. It's back for season two. One of the things we'll be doing this season is interviewing people tackling social problems around the world. Today, we'll be chatting with a powerhouse on the front lines on access to women's health care in the U.S. Estamos? Okay. Estamos in Don't Interrupt Me, Por Favor. What is Don't Interrupt Me, Por Favor? Don't interrupt me, por favor. Es un programa en el que hablamos en español and we speak in English too. It depends on the emotions that we have to share with you guys. Uh, sometimes our emotions were English and why are we going to translate it? And sometimes our emotions son en español y por qué vamos a traducir lo que nos pasa en español si entendéis español porque we are bilingual here in this podcast. ¿Y quiénes somos? Hola, I'm Lisa Button. Soy Nick Leiber. I'm a journalist in New York. And I'm here with Guillermo Fesser. Hi, Guillermo. I'm a journalist in this table. <laughs> <laughs> not, not in New York. And we're here with, with Rebecca Schiffman, who is the director of maternal fetal medicine at Woodhull Medical Center. Yes. What does that mean? Um, what does Me maternal fetal medicine mean? Yeah. Uh, that is a subspecialty of uh, obstetrics and gynecology that essentially deals with any complications with either the mother or the fetus during pregnancy. Okay. So essentially is what we would call high-risk pregnancies, for what, whether it's for maternal or fetal reasons. And is that a very normal thing that you will be needed on the hospital? I mean, uh, there's so many special cases. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, I mean, I see... Uh, we probably see at least 60, 70 patients a week in a combination of high-risk clinics. Uh, I work with several colleagues, and we see uh, patients that either have diabetes, hypertension, um, any other medical condition, or that there's an abnormality of the fetus. And you're at Woodhull Medical Center, which is in North Brooklyn. And describe the hospital a little bit. What's it like? Uh, well, it's a city hospital. It's part of the 11 hospitals of health and hospitals. Uh, so the primary mission of the hospital is to serve the underserved community. And I want to stress that the hospital serves everybody without any uh, questions about origins, uh, financial uh, ability, and essentially we're there to serve the community. Me gustaría hacer una aclaración porque como marciano en este país, como extranjero en este país, una de las cosas que me llamó la atención muchísimo 
es ver que en televisión se anuncian hospitales. Uno que viene de un país con eh, seguridad social, con, con salud eh, pública gratuita para todo el mundo, ver que anuncian un hospital y que le dicen «Next time go to Vassar» o «Ven a St. Jude», que es amazing, o «El cáncer lo curamos mejor aquí». Es como «¿Qué? ¿Están anunciando hospitales?» «What is this?» uh, «And you talk about public and private and so what kind of hospital are you?» which, which, which? Ok, uh, yo trabajo en un hospital público. Uh, quiere decir que eso es financiado por la ciudad de Nueva York. Uh, pero de todos modos, todos los hospitales uh, reciben fundos de todas las, segura, las seguridades como Medicaid, Medicare y las seguridades privadas. ¿Cuándo, ¿cuándo decidiste asistir o ayudar a, a pacientes? ¿Cuándo, ¿Cuándo te, te llevó en la, la cabeza, quiero ser, quiero ser médico? Yo creo que tenía como los 15 años y estaba viendo a Dr. Kildare. Si ah. <risa> sí, se acuerdan, puede ser ustedes, son muy jóvenes para recordarse de Dr. No, Kildare. No, no tan joven. Uh, entonces, uh, eso me movió. Yo siempre estaba interesada en la ciencia. Aunque como yo crecí en un uh, milieu ortodoxo, muy ortodoxo, entonces... Mis padres siempre me, me habían uh, dicho que no debo ser doctora porque nadie quiere casarse conmigo si yo soy doctora. Entonces, uh, oh yo abandoné ese plan cuando, cuando estaba en college y luego hice un master's en mass communications y después de eso yo vi que, que era la realidad para las mujeres en uh, los años 70 en la media y comencé a estudiar para um, ser doctora. Okay, and you were you were born in Paris. Yes. And then you moved to Bogota. Uh huh. And then when you were 12, you moved to Borough Park, Brooklyn, where you were raised, as you just said, Orthodox. Yes. And Bogota, how old were you when you moved there? I always thought it was three months, but I just found out that I was one month. Okay. Someone uh, in Israel is collecting documents from my father's uh, state of my father's town. Both my parents were Holocaust survivors. I saw the documents of uh, a transit visa from Paris to Venezuela to Colombia. And I think we arrived in Colombia when I was a month old. Veo a Lisa que levanta la mano a través de la pantalla interactiva que tenemos en el estudio, conexión directa, right. conexión yeah. directa con el sur. Yeah, Rebecca, you know what's so interesting about the United States? You know, we always talk about how we have such good healthcare here, although um, not everybody has access to it. But we have one of the highest rates of um, maternal deaths, don't we? Yes. Isn't it kind of a uh, situation you wouldn't expect? Uh, I think it's it's criminal, practically, uh, how we have not just the highest maternal mortality, but also infant mortality. We have both. And that uh, given the resources that we have here, I think it's despicable that we're not able to improve both maternal and infant care. But why why is it even happening? Nick and I were discussing this earlier about the racial disparities in maternal mortality, in both infant and maternal mortality. Uh, and that has to do a lot with the stress of being 
uh, a woman of color or a person of color in this country. Um, there's a lot of talk now about implicit bias, that we all have biases that uh, affect how we treat each other. Uh, and, you know, people that talk about the implicit bias bring up the issue of Serena Williams, who, uh, even though she's richer than I assume all of us in this room, and certainly is educated and verbal, and yet she was not listened to when she was having a pulmonary embolus. Mm. Um, so I don't know how much of that is being a person of color, how much of that, and I've experienced that personally, uh, of being female in the medical field, where also women are not taken as seriously as men. Uh, so there's multiple reasons. There is also higher incidence of chronic conditions that can affect the pregnancy. And, um, you know, my soapbox is that <clears throat> all women should be seen prior to ever getting pregnant and be evaluated for chronic conditions so that they're in the best condition to uh, handle a pregnancy. that come for prenatal care, and again, H&H &H makes it a, its mission that we provide care to anyone and everyone regardless of ability to pay, regardless of immigration status. Uh, but uh, you and I discussed this earlier. I have one patient, for instance, who's been here for over 18 years whose husband just got deported, and uh, she's having to deal with a um, multiple gestation on her own uh, with the depression that uh, losing your partner in such a way causes, uh, the stress. Uh, so uh, we're starting to see that of uh, not the effects of people that are afraid to come because then we won't see them, but how people are affected by this immigration threats that we see all over. Yo conocí una vez a un señor muy interesante, se llamaba Vicente Ferrer, eh, que me dijo, a veces eh, nos obsesionamos con creer que todos los partidos importantes se juegan en la Premier League, y también hay segunda división, hay tercera división, hay división local, en la vida pasa lo mismo. Eh, pensamos, obsesionamos con los prime ministers, con los eh, gobernantes, pero luego hay gente que en divisiones en segunda local, en tercera provincial, en cuarta, hacen cosas positivas, ¿no? Y esta gente puede subir algún día primera. Entonces, esa es la manera en que él tenía de no perder la esperanza. Yo me imagino que lo que tú haces en el hospital, especialmente en tiempos en los que ocurren, debe ser de algún modo muy gratificante, ¿no? Eh, estás empujando en lo que tú crees seguramente que es la dirección adecuada, ¿no? Ah, sí. Es que materno field medicine uh, es una situación donde de veras podemos ayudar a las mujeres y a los bebés. Uh, y es muy gratificante de poder ayudar a la gente que no tiene otras opciones. Um, in my family, we have a tradition of going with uh, midwives. That's not the most popular 
tradition here, but I know other countries like the Netherlands have really good statistics about, you know, babies and mother's health. And they have a model where uh, pretty much every woman, from what I understand, has her baby through a midwife, except for then if they risk out, if they go with a doctor. I just wonder what, what's your view? Instead of treating pregnancy as an illness, and you know, people end up in the hospital most of the time, and we have a really high rate of C-sections. So I'm just curious if you work with midwives at all. I mean, I know you probably don't because you see the high-risk patients. Actually, we do. Uh, Woodhull Hospital has a very large midwifery program, and you know, our obstetrics is pretty much driven by midwives. We work very collaboratively with midwives. So midwives deliver all the normal pregnancies, provide care, and uh, I only see patients when they're referred to me either from midwives or from doctors for specific reasons. So I'm very specialized, but we have a very strong midwifery program, and we're very collaborative with midwives. And uh, I think midwives are wonderful for providing routine prenatal care to healthy women. I hope that answers your question. And I think cesarean sections are driven by a number of things. Uh, One of them is the population, in my experience, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, is getting more complex. Care is getting more complex. We're seeing more chronic conditions, older women uh, that are getting pregnant that have uh, other medical complications. Babies are getting bigger. Actually, Mm. the chair, uh, I had a very interesting, my first job, I had a very interesting chairman who was really an anthropologist. And his theory was that cesarean section is saving the human race. And he had done studies, he had access to the Lucy skeletons and was able to demonstrate that uh, his theory uh, with x-rays of the skeleton that probably these hominids became extinct because the head of of their fetuses became too large for the pelvis as we evolved. Wow, uh, I've never heard that one. Uh, well, you know... I heard the opposite, exactly, that we're here. I mean, the babies are premature because they have to go through the canal. Uh, That's why the head is not formed, right, when well, the day of the, the birth. That may be part of it, that some babies are born premature because if they were born at term... No, but I mean, babies like a horse, you know, the the, the, the baby horse, I mean, right, right away is a horse. But a, a little baby, human baby, still needs care after the delivery because, you know, the fontanelles, whatever they're called here, they're not yeah. closed, these, that. So it's, it's in order to, the, to have a little, you know, softy head to go through the channel. But still, uh, it, you know, if the head gets too big, it's difficult to negotiate the yeah, yeah, that sure. birth canal. And if the birth canal is narrow, then it, no matter how small the head is, it's going to be difficult. Uh, so, and part of that, I have to say, is driven by the medical legal uh, right. situation where we're confronted with the fact that if we don't, if things happen, and sometimes things do happen, uh, we're going to get sued. 
and the first thing is going to be, why didn't you do a cesarean? Uh, so uh, I think that that does create an attitude of no one's going to sue me for doing a cesarean, unfortunately. Mm. Well, which is actually a really serious abdominal surgery it is. to recover from. <laughs> it, it is, and we should strive as much as possible to do normal vaginal deliveries, but we should also not avoid cesareans when indicated. And I think that uh, what we see the opposite of that is uh, sometimes uh, women that delay doing a cesarean that refuse and deny and decline and end up with disasters. Mm. Uh, so I think that uh, there's no substitute for good medical judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but you you don't want to put this judgment in the in the liability, right? That's that's the misfortune of the system. Uh, well, you know, I teach uh, that we are physicians, we're not lawyers. Uh, so we should practice medicine, but we do have to be aware that the lawyer is behind you, us uh, mm-hmm. in terms of mostly documenting properly. But we are physicians first. We, pro- you know, cares. We provide care for pregnant women, and not we're not lawyers. You say physicians. I want to ask you because I'm confused in English. Uh, you used to be doctors, but now I hear the word provider. I hear physician. Um, I hear uh, uh, the okay. patients are neighbors. I don't know <laughs> what is this. Eso es la misma cosa que estaba diciendo antes que de los anuncios en la televisión. Porque a mí me importa mucho que eso me makes me furious. Uh, que también no solamente los hospitales, pero las drogas que oh. anuncian en la televisión. Uh, eso Y lo que hicieron las, compañure, las compañías de seguros es cambiar el nombre. Uh, un doctor era respetado, physician, lo, si, si se llama doctor, physician, no importa, pero provider es... Eso cambia la relación, eh, es, no es doctor y paciente o doctor que, que sabe lo que está haciendo, pero es un, un, un proveedor, sí, de, de, proveedor que puede cambiarse. Proveedor de hielo, proveedor uh, de salud, proveedor de lagartos. Sí, y, y yo no soy un paciente, ahora yo soy un vecino o un soy un cliente. Cli- un cliente. Imagínate el cliente. Uh, un, un cliente. Y eso cambia la relación en una manera para que le conviene a las uh, compañías de seguros, pero que cambia la actitud de, uh, de esa relación. Porque si alguien viene a, a buscar mis servicios, es que uh, espero que tienen confianza en mí y que sienten que yo sabo lo que estoy haciendo y que lo, los voy a ayudar. Uh, un cliente es que yo puedo ir a Macy's o puedo ir a otro almacén o yeah. no importa, todos se pueden cambiar. O Dr. Google ahora. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And what are you spending the bulk of your time doing? What is your, what is your day like? Okay, my day is, well, I, I read the ultrasounds or the uh, obstetrical ultrasounds, and I can do that remotely. So when I'm on the ski slopes, mm. uh, I can do it as well. Uh, and then uh, I'm in the high-risk clinic providing direct patient care. I'm supervising um, uh, other providers. So I get called any time of day or night uh, if they have a problem with the patient or they're not sure of how to manage a particular situation. Um, I also supervise nurses, teach medical students. You could be called right now that you asked before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your phone is my, right here. Yeah. My cell phone is on 24-7, unfortunately. So you're, you're looking at a lot of, at a lot of fetuses. Uh, yes. Basically a dozen a day, more? Oh, more. A, uh, per day? Okay. Per day. Wow. Uh, and what's amazing is how much... Uh, pathology we actually see, uh, the amount of congenital anomalies that we encounter. Pathology is bad stuff. Yes. Okay. The number of fetal congenital anomalies that we encounter is astonishing. Uh, and, the you know, the beauty of my specialty of maternal fetal medicine is that it's never boring. It's never the same. And even after 30 years, I'm still encountering things that I've never encountered before. So, Rebecca, what are some of the um, technological innovations that that you're seeing in your field that are that are saving lives? Oh gosh! First of all, ultrasound has given us access to uh, a fetus that was really, you know, when I started, they would show us ultrasound, and the technology was such that you might as well use Rorschach. Blots, that's what it looked like. Now you could really, even the patients themselves can see, oh, that's a hand, that's a foot. Uh, So we have access to the fetal anatomy in a way that it allows us to visualize uh, fetal anomalies or or normal fetuses, hopefully. Uh, We also have access, we can do cord blood, and we have access to fetal blood. And mm-hmm. more than that, we're now doing fetal surgery. I mean, if we think about it, that we can open up the uterus, correct an anomaly in the fetus, put the fetus back, and actually people are now talking about not doing it openly, but doing it laparoscopically. So we are able to detect fetal anomalies and correct some of them in utero so that it prevents uh, further damage. What kind of surgery are we talking about? Surgery for neural tube defects, for instance, for spina bifida. Uh, the, that's a condition where the spine, uh, the skin on the spine doesn't close and the um, spinal cord is outside of the body and therefore whatever is below it 
is non-functional, you know, loses neurologic uh, function. So there's a lot of things that we could do to prevent uh, developmental damage if we detect them in time. And it's, it's pretty amazing that the technology is such that we can do that. Uh, you know, when I started in medicine, the saying was, those who can do internal medicine, those who can't go into obstetrics. Oh, and, no. uh, uh, you know, the chairman of medicine, when I was an intern, said, oh, but your chief resident material, why would you waste yourself in obstetrics? Uh, and obstetrics is now at really the cutting edge of technology. Uh, you know, it's amazing the kinds of things that we can now do to uh, improve the life of mothers and their fetuses. Mm-hmm. And if you were queen of the universe, what changes would you make to improve care even more? Well, I don't want to be queen of the universe. I want to be queen of an island. Like, mm-hmm. I've always thought I want to be queen of Catalina, Uh off the coast in California. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good place to be. (laughs) Essentially that women should have access to care all across their life spectrum from birth to the end of their lives. And part of good care is addressing any issue that may impact the pregnancy. And what happens with pregnancy, uh, there are two things that happen with pregnancy that uh, really impact care. And one is everything that ails you, honey, is because you're pregnant. Uh, I hope you understand that I'm being sarcastic. Uh, So that many physicians and providers, or whatever you want to call them, ignore the complaints of women because Everything is because you're pregnant. And the second thing that happens is that pregnancy intimidates many uh, physicians and other providers from taking care of pregnant women because, oh, we can't do x-rays because you're pregnant. We can't do surgery because you're pregnant. We can't do this because you're pregnant, which is also nonsense. So I would like... If it were up to me, I would like to educate everyone. And by the way, that means not just the healthcare providers and the healthcare system, but also patients need to be informed. And I think there's a lot of misinformation and uh, ignorance on on our part as patients as to how to access care, how to ask the right questions. Um, And uh, we need an informed population as well. So... I would go both ways. Y no hay ningún sitio ahora mismo, si alguien está oyendo este podcast y dice, caramba, me gustaría eh, tener un poco más de información, eh, no hay realmente ninguna plataforma, ningún sitio en el que alguien puede acudir para empezar, por lo menos, a enterarse de qué va esta vaina. Es que hay, hay muchos, pero el problema es que no todos son uh, de la misma calidad. Entonces, que uh, yo había dicho antes el doctor Google, Mucha gente va a Google y encuentran cosas que son muy buenas y pueden encontrar cosas que no tienen ninguna realidad también. Así que 
hay tanta información que es difícil de encontrar que es la información de buena calidad y que es la información que no sirve para nada. Pues ¿Cuándo, la va, ¿cuándo la va a filtrar Rebeca? ¿Cuándo la va a poner eso en un website, en un libro, en unas memorias, en un manual de instrucciones para...? Ponemos el móvil de, de Rebeca en, en la web y ya está. <risa> y que llame. Sí, que llame a ella. <risa> so you, it seems to me that you're always on. Like you, if you're looking at these charts on the ski slopes, if you're like looking at this, you know, over dozens a, dozens a day... What do you do to say, okay, basta, I'm going to not think about this? You go skiing. You also talked about going skiing. Well, like, you know that I'm a ski instructor. I didn't know you were a ski instructor. Oh. No, no. Uh, that's my real job. Ah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we're, now we're getting So that's, that's what you do to un disconnect, right. somewhat disconnect. You go, uh, you go down a mountain. A I mountain. go down a mountain. And you teach. I, I teach skiing, okay. which I, I totally am passionate about. I adore And when I'm not skiing, I'm thinking about planning my ski season. So, uh, But uh, I also go to concerts. I also walk. I hike. Uh, I have a life. Um, you know, you've met my husband. I live with two artists. Or as my son once said, uh, you're the only one with a paycheck here. <laughs> uh <laughs> So um, my husband is a very prominent artist. My son is a photographer that's also getting, uh, does beautiful work, and he's running an art gallery. I feel that my life is, is really full. I'm very fortunate that I love everything I do. So life is fun. ¿Hay alguna tendencia entre niños y niñas? Are, are we having more girls than boys or vice versa? Or? Oh, ok. Primero que todo voy a decirle, y lo siento mucho, pero que los varones siempre son más débiles que las niñas. Uh, ¿En qué sentido? ¿En qué sentido? To todos. En, en todos. En, en todos. <laughs> Primero que todo, uh, las concepciones, hay más varones de, de niñas en concepciones, pero uh, hay más varones que se pierden durante el embarazo mm. y los varones son más frágiles cuando nacen y uh, creo que siguen siendo, un, eh, eso sabemos muy bien que uh, los teenage boys de veras que, que son... Uh, Tardan más en madurar, eso desde luego. Sí. Eso desde uh, luego. Uh, no son maduros hasta por lo menos 26 años. Sí, algunos no llegan a ser maduros. <risa> para mi hermano. Yo, yo voy a decir sí, sí, a veces, siempre. Uh, a los 40. A los, a los... Ahora, si somos más débiles, ¿por qué bajamos nosotros la basura? Uh, así que um, esas diferencias se sienten desde el principio, yo creo, pero... Uh, ¿Y esa es la ley de la naturaleza? ¿Es porque la, la especie tiene que sobrevivir y, por tanto, eh, la naturaleza mm, quiere más a la mujer? ¿o? Puede ser. Eh, um, yo creo que las mujeres tienen que ser más fuertes para dar luz y para uh, amantar y para cuidar los hijos y, y la familia. Um, y no sé si, por si acaso, es que las mujeres se han dejado uh, ser, a, a, a bajarse y ser más 
oprimidas porque comprenden que los, los hombres son más, más frágiles, puede ser. Pero a la misma vez, el papel del padre es, es muy importante también. Cuéntanos un poco de, de cómo, cómo funciona en el hospital donde tú trabajas. Uh, fathers, we have some fathers that actually come during prenatal care. Uh, los padres uh, están en la sala de operación, están en uh, la sala de, de, de libre todo el tiempo. En nuestro hospital, so, todos los, los uh, cuartos de postpartum son privados, así que la familia, los bebés se quedan con las mamás y hay una cama para el, el papá. Uh, así que nosotros somos, actually, uh, Woodhall Hospital is the first hospital in Brooklyn to be awarded the baby-friendly label, which is very important. From the World Health Organization or the UN, something like that? I think it's from like the, yeah. 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 And what is uh, this? What is this exactly, the baby label? Baby-friendly. Okay. Uh, that means that we encourage breastfeeding, we encourage bonding uh, so that immediately after birth unless there's a problem the baby gets put on the mother's chest or stomach even during cesarean uh, you know so that there's immediate bonding we encourage breastfeeding the baby stays with the mother uh, we're very family oriented you know the model of the father pacing outside uh, drinking <laughs> scotch just doesn't <laughs> exist anymore <coughs> Mm -hmm. And I would think, especially after you go home, because honestly, you know, having having had two children myself, it's, I, I would have found it very difficult. Everything is kind of focused on the birth itself, but afterwards, you know, there's a lot to go through as well. And if you're lucky enough to have a good partner, as, as I am with my husband, I mean, um, I would imagine that that's an area where maybe there can be more education as well. Um, like, well, what can the husband help do, do before it's time for the next appointment? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we were talking, Guillermo was asking uh, earlier about how advanced we are as a society, and we're really behind, behind the rest of the world in terms of parental leave, of education. Uh, we don't offer barely offer maternal leave. We don't offer paternal leave, uh, which uh, most Western European countries offer uh, both maternal and paternal leave um, so that the parent, both parents can be involved in the care of a child. Child care is nearly impossible to access here. Lincoln Hospital, for instance, did have a child care where uh, For instance, women that were coming for prenatal care could drop their children off during their visit so that they could have a visit with the with their doctor. But we don't have that for the most part. Uh, we have a lot of compliance with prenatal care so that most women, most, not all, uh, do come for their prenatal visits. And I would say... Probably about 40, 44% of women uh, keep their postpartum visit. They don't come for postpartum care because they're busy with other things. And what we're trying to do now uh, at our hospital is to provide that postpartum visit 
uh, when they bring their baby for routine care. So that if we could see the mother when they bring their baby in uh, for the routine visits, and, and usually these babies are seen every month for the first six months, then we might be able to take care of the mother because uh, unfortunately, uh, most women neglect themselves. Is that oh, the oh, hospital? There's a baby coming. Uh, no. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, uh, oh, there's a new trip. There's a new trip to the Alps planet. Yeah. Okay. Um, so most women neglect themselves, uh, at, you know, in order to take care of their families, and I think that we need to provide them with opportunities to care for themselves as well. Do you do home visits at all? We try to offer that. Uh, a lot of patients don't want us. You know, strangely enough, uh, there are several things. One is, uh, is it safe for someone to go to some neighborhoods uh, to provide care if someone lives in a neighborhood that is really dangerous? Uh, and there are patients that are particularly, I guess, if they're undocumented, they really mm. don't want us going to where they live because they may be afraid. Uh, mm -hmm. I personally have gone to patients' houses to bring them to the hospital when they were refusing to come and they needed to really be hospitalized. We should provide more home care. We don't have an integrated system. You know, I think that ideally we should have a, what I call a vertically integrated uh, healthcare system. And they do that, Kaiser Permanente does that in California, where everything comes out of the same pocket. So therefore, uh, there's no incentive for me as a hospital to keep the patient in the hospital because I make more money. There's no incentive for me as a home care provider to not send the patient to the hospital uh, because I make more money. There's no incentive for me as a uh, whatever to m provide more care than needed because it's all going to come out of the same pocket. And I think that uh, having that kind of vertically integrated care would provide really unified care where right now Everything is somewhere else. I have to call 10 zillion people to get approval for this medication that the patient needs. And I've actually had the experience of uh, having to fight with the drug company to uh, provide a medication that might prevent a uh, premature delivery to the point that uh, it was declined and this patient ended up delivering prematurely again um, mm -hmm. because she couldn't get access to the medication on time. And if we had a system that was really based on what are the needs of the population rather than uh, what are the needs of this particular institution and this particular company, I think that we could have an excellent care, uh, care system. ¿Y lo ves posible? Eh, ahora que, por ejemplo, en la mayoría, si no todos los uh, Democrats, uh, they have universal health care in their ballot. I mean, this is something that is on the table right now, right? Yo creo que es posible. El modelo ya existe. 
uh, modelo existe aquí en este país con uh, tam, no solamente con Kaiser Permanente, pero con uh, creo que es HCA en, en Utah y en, en el Midwest. Uh, y esas son compañías de for profit uh, que suceden a, a dar servicios que de veras son lo que se necesita. Uh, así que es posible, solamente tenemos que tener la voluntad de, de hacerlo. Y espero que con el cambio de gobierno pueda ser, vamos a tener la posibilidad de uh, crear un sistema que de veras sirve a la población, a it, todos. In the, in the next, don't interrupt me, por favor, we'll have to continue talking uh, and, and find out what, what happens. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rebecca Schiffman. Thank you. Muchas gracias por estar con nosotros. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Lisa. Muchas gracias. gracias quizás, quizás algún día podamos visitarte en el hospital y ver en, en directo lo, la estupenda labor que, que haces. No? Día. ¿Por qué no? Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. Adiós. Don't in interrupt me, por favor, listeners. Bye bye. 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 Adiós. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 